0: My name is Shandy Charnow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here today with Thomas Silvera. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Elijah Olivi Foundation and a huge policy advocate for food allergies and asthma. Thank you so much for being here. I know that your story is one that's going to resonate with our listeners. I just want to jump in, you've started an amazing foundation. Uh, that's really, you know, raising a lot of light on food allergies and asthma, and particularly in in the community of uh, people of color, which is great. I want to talk about the disparities there. It's something that we bring up a lot, too, and I want to highlight that. But you really took a terrible situation and have handled it with incredible strength and grace and turned it into something good. Talk to me about your story. Tell our listeners how it is that you came to start your foundation and what it is that you and your family have been through.
1: Okay, so thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be talking with you. Although we've, like, we've crossed paths only via social, um, but it's always good to put a name to a face and vice versa, you know, so we can have this conversation. So to give a little bit about my story, Um, back in 2017, my son started his first week of of like daycare slash pre k very first week, not even a full seven days, whatever. Um, you know, we've, we've talked with the educators there before we signed them up to make sure they understood how to handle situations with a child with food allergies and asthma. Come Friday, November 3rd, 2017. Um, you know, that, that day is always going to be like, you know, it's going to be the nil in my heart basically, you know, and it's always gonna have that pain. So that day he was fed a food that had an allergy and he was severely allergic to, which was dairy. Okay. Um, although them knowing he had a severe food allergy and had a specialty meal designed for him, they didn't provide him with that. Um, we didn't know what was actually given to him. He was, you know, until the following week when, upon the investigation with the Department of Health, ACS and everyone. and you know, we were told what was actually given. That's the part that hurts the most had we, you know, that they they kind of like didn't say anything to us, you know, and we, I think they could have really acted in a more, an emergency uh, matter in order to to save him. Um, but, you know, it, it, it just took us down that path. And like, I remember the, the date stamp and everything when he passed. Um, it's it, it hurts it's a it's a very hurtful situation that we have to live with every single day and um you know it and i was at work at the time when i got the call so by the time i got to the hospital he already had passed um so from that moment you know my wife and i we were just totally in and distra- just disarray with everything and life didn't matter from that point on but it had to matter because we have another son, Sebastian. So, my wife, she had to take some time. My wife actually, she, um, she, that same day, she actually just, she was so incoherent to everyday life. So, she was of kind of like just numb to the world. So, I kind of like had to shake everything off and put my feelings aside because I actually had to be there for. Her for my son and, and walk around with a face, you know, with a smile on my face, but in the inside, I'm like literally breaking down.
0: A bit of a mask. And,
1: yeah, yeah. So because we have to, we have to, I have to put everything together. So with that, you know, my wife, she you know, she came around. We came together. She started doing research and looking into legislations in New York and the United States, and found that the the I think it's the anaphylactic policy for New York only covered children from kindergarten to 12th grade. Luckily, my son had a 504 and an IEP, you know, which those are, yeah, it's, my son had a 504 and IEP, which are legally binding documents Mm -hmm. based because he has a disability of food allergies and asthma and the IEP helps him with getting extra um, care. So nothing was governed for kids from pre-K and under. (laughs) So my wife figured, hey, we need to do something about this. We need to put something in place for children and under, under pre-K and under. So she did her research. she found all the missing like pieces that we need to put together. Um, we reached out to FAIR. FAIR has been helpful. There was a woman, Jen Jobrek, at the time. She was the one that we've been engaging with like from the, be- the minute we started talking with them and up until we started getting our local assemblyman and our senator involved. And, you know, from 2017 to 2018, you know, we thought we we had this, you know, this this is going to be good. You know, we, we have everything we want. In 2018, they passed it in the Senate, but it negated the whole everything that we wanted in the legislation. So it was kind of like disappointing to us to actually hear that.
0: The U.S. Senate, not the New York State.
1: They, they, sorry, um New York State Senate.
0: New York State. So the yeah. Senate,
1: yeah, so it didn't get passed then. And we were kind of like disappointed because when I actually called the senator I'm like hey you, how did you, you never had this conversation with me so they was like oh I figured because it was the end of session they needed to get some some things out and yeah. it was but from that point on we took some time we took about a couple months off and then we decided to go a whole different route we decided to just literally write a whole section ourselves so we we got back with our local assemblymen Al Taylor and Senator Brian Benjamin. And worked solely with just them two. Um, you know, we had some support from from other organizations outside, but the written paragraph that's in that section is from us. So it was a paragraph, and then we got it actually passed in the Assembly and the Senate of 2019, mm-hmm. signed by Governor Cuomo in September 12, 2019, I believe. And it became a historic legislation because it was the very first in New York and the very first to be done in the United States that way. So with that being said, it just pushes us to continue this work in policymaking, not just here, not just in New York City, but we have legislation that's going to be, you know, in the works for Illinois, for Pennsylvania, for New Hampshire, California. So we're working along that path to make this law a federal law. Um, so next year is a big it's it's going to be like. I'll go get them here for our foundation. And we're also supporting other organizations with their other legislations. You know, we want everyone to be a part of what we're doing as well as us doing our part for the community.
0: It's such important work. I mean, it's amazing to me. The the statistics are crazy on food allergies, as you well know, right? More than 10% of the U.S. population. And yet, you know, the regulations around it are so not strong enough and, and not pervasive enough. Um, it
1: is. It, it. There's so much work in this space, especially when it comes to food allergies. Um, it, and, and it's crazy because, like, growing up, I grew up in the most impoverished areas. I grew up with food allergies and asthma.
0: And what are you allergic to?
1: I'm allergic to shellfish, almonds, walnuts, pecans. Um, uh, let's see, what else? I'm allergic to medications, to... Um, I'm allergic to aspirin, iodine, ibuprofen, um so a lot of those things and iodine I discovered those huh? Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so can.
1: I avoid all those things and I didn't start carrying an EpiPen into my early adult years.
0: do I need so, to give you crazy. some side eye on that or
1: No, you can give me side eye on that because growing up in I before I even had kids or before I even knew more in depth about food allergies, it was just something we just you know, just went through life with because growing up, my mom didn't really know what to do or anything. It wasn't until I got into my adult, like young adulthood, when I was like, "Hey, I remember having a reaction," and I was like, "I need to carry an epipen." And from that moment on, I've been carrying it with me, um, keeping my other rescue inhalers close by, making sure it's like it's like the American Express card thing that said, "Don't leave, don't home, leave without home without it." it. So it. I don't yeah. do that
0: no i'm 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 food allergic and asthmatic too, right? I mean, I've got my little trainer epipens right here on my desk, right my little aviqs. <laughs> um uh, yeah. and so I have this these this little bag that has my car keys, my inhaler, and my two epipens in it uh and so therefore, I literally can't leave home without it because I can't get in my car without my car keys and so that little so. bag just travels from purse to purse, and it always goes with me everywhere.
1: Yeah, I have a I have a bag that I keep in my closet. That's the bag where my get through it's on my coat, so every time I go outside I grab everything and it's good to go. But we know like with food allergies, the the numbers are growing. It's astronomical. Like, yeah. you know, it, it becomes you know, it's an epidemic here, but it globally it becomes a pandemic. If you look at the numbers in Australia and Europe and here in the United States, the numbers are increasingly growing. Every day you're yeah. gonna see it. And statistically, we have data that shows the 32 million and so forth. But just imagine if the ones that were not actually counted on that data, what that number will look like. Yeah. That thing that that's the thing that we don't see. You know, when we put out data, we're like, "Wow, that's crazy!" But there are a lot of people, especially in the underserved communities throughout this the United States, that they're not. These information is not uh, recorded. So, if you have like the black population, Hispanic population, and this is the data that that you're showing, but there's still a lot because the way healthcare systems work for the underserved community, you know, there's a lot of biases there. Oh,
0: don't
1: worry. So, you know, it's going to take a lot of work for a lot of organizations to to be not just talk about it but be about it. You know, so it's instead
0: an of inter- just yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, we talk a lot about the statistics and. The disparity with people of color, you know, with asthma and food allergies, something we talk about a lot. But it hadn't occurred to me that we're maybe undercounting it, you know, a across the board, but b particularly in those communities, uh, so that maybe those those statistics are significantly higher.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's definitely significantly higher because I've spoken to a lot of people who don't go to a doctor and they're they have severe food allergies, mm-hmm. but based on their socioeconomical status. Um, they can't afford going to the doctor, going to the hospital, so they end up just going to get treated in the emergency room, and still can't afford to follow up with their with a primary care physician or pediatrician because yeah. of the money. So now, how could they afford the medication? Medication prices are skyrocketing. An epipen is is you know unless you have affordable healthcare, you can get it at a very discounted price. But if you're a middle class person and you have an insurance by your 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 job and everything, you're yeah. gonna pay a, a Fee for that. Mm-hmm.
0: So the policies the other, that Kaleo has like, for the Aviq are much better than with with, uh, um, Mylan with my, and yeah. I don't know why it was escaping me yeah. and epipens, no. but still, I mean, you have to have the prescription written to them, and it goes to through your insurance company. So, Absolutely. if you're Absolutely. underinsured, how does that happen, right? It,
1: yeah, it's it just becomes a big financial issue.
0: Yeah, and all
1: the, the social gradients that you have to look at. That's you know in these underserved population asthma is going to rise in the underserved communities because there's so much infestation from roaches and population of pollution and cigarettes and you name it, those populations are overly exhausted with a lot of environmental factors. So we don't look at that. I remember in second grade, I was at a school with the highest rate of asthma. They were trying to figure out why, but if you go five blocks down, there's a factory that is exhausting um, toxic chemicals in the air causing that high rate of asthma in that neighborhood. I didn't learn that until I was like in my 20s too when I actually looked up the history of that area, why that school was so overly, you know, consumed with children with asthma. And, you know, and I, I go back as like, if the organizations or governments go into these communities, not just to put money into the communities, but physically go into the communities and provide the health promotions or more in-depth information on food allergies, there are asthma educational uh, programs that are out there that go there, but money needs to be spent in these areas to start allowing the community to see it. You know, we push a lot for diabetes. We push a lot for breast cancer. We push a lot for a lot Mm -hmm. of these organizations, but when it comes to food allergies, food allergies is literally below when it comes to getting the finance, the government finances for, to actually do things, you know, that money that is being utilized can go so quickly for research and whatever it may be. So it's like, you're still not serving the food allergy community well when it comes to the government.
0: So I have a few thoughts here. One, what do you think about legislation that would allow for or enforce having, you know, an EpiPen box on the wall next to the defibrillators, right? There's defibrillators in basically every quote unquote public building. How do we not have epinephrine?
1: It's, it's the same thing. I call it the drill scenario. We have fire drills just in case something mm. happens, right? We have an AED, we have people being trained in, in AED and CPR, um, first aid response. You have these educators and you have an AED, like you said, a box there. And then you have fire extinguishers almost on every area of the building, and um, but we- Fire you know, extinguishers is another drill, great one, right you do fire drills every day in case something happens. We have the IED box in case something happens. But an epinephrine station with the high prevalence of children, especially going into into kindergarten, pre-K, daycare, centers, mm-hmm. those numbers are higher. And then they, they're going to move and trickle on to the middle school and to high school. But when there's no emergency response, you have the principal with the the two auto-injectors inside her desk. But if the principal is not easily to get access to, right. then you leave these, you leave the children susceptible to like having either harm or death within that time frame. So having an emergency response with an epinephrine cabinet located where an AED box is at in each floor if that's if that is the case. It's just to have that access. I think what a lot of schools think about is the financial burden that it will take
0: and the liability to, factor, I think, too. A lot of
1: the liability factor. But you can avoid a lot of liability factor if you have the emergency response thing. Because if someone was to collapse and you use the AED, you're fine. The liability is, is really not how you did everything you can to save that person's life before emergency response can get there. Same thing in the event of a fire drill. You can't leave the people in the building when there's a, you know, in the, in the event of an actual fire, so you have fire drills. So you need the epinephrine because. The minute the catalyst of the anaphylaxis is beginning in the body. It is that fire that's burning. So if you're not, go ahead. Sorry,
0: I was going to ask: Is if the, is this legislation you're already working on? Is this a policy piece that you're is on your on your slate?
1: There is that's one that I'm actually talking to someone here in PA that they're looking to doing. But I know there's other legislations that are actually trying to push for that as well. Our foundation, what we do, we we actually with our we work with lay. Belay is they have a tech, which um, is a food allergy app that I don't know if you're familiar with Belay. Um, It's a great app. We have our education um, training program with them. We partner up to design an education where we do have EpiPen stations along with our program that we can provide to these schools. And on top of doing emergency response training and also auditing their location to make sure that we can provide them with the proper training, location and everything in the event of emergency. A legislation is that something like that needs to be done throughout the United States. Totally, It should be. And I, you know, I'm more than happy to support anyone who wants to bring that to me, for me to put in my voice to get that done, you know, um, just let me know.
0: Yeah. And on the on the partnering for schools, you know, let us know how we can help there too. You know, what we do at Survistar is a little bit different, right? You know, obviously non-competitive with everybody else in the conversation, but you know, to help them figure out what food is safe for the kids before they feed it to them. You know, if, if there's something we can do to help you or partner with you on that, please let me know. You know, obviously separately from oh, this absolutely. conversation. But yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we were we were talking about the, you know, kind of silent food allergy epidemic, if you will, where you know the the dollars aren't there, the voices aren't as loud as for breast cancer or diabetes or something like that. And I think, you know, we see that a lot on the restaurant, even on the school side. Oh. That's not a problem for us we don't have people come in with food allergies yeah no you do they're just not telling yeah. you
1: yeah you know? they're they' it's it's kind of sad because even when I used to go I went into schools just to kind of like get an assessment mm. of what they do and it's like yeah we really don't have that many children with food allergies but when you know you find out and you look at their records they even if you have five hundred kids in that school and you have thirty kids with severe food allergies that's still a high number that's a lot so if you look at yeah, if you look at that as nothing and, it's and probably you try under. to do that. I
0: mean like it's it, there's probably more kids than 30, right? Probably closer to 50, oh, absolutely.
1: 55. Absolutely. So, you know, it if it, it bothers me to hear that, so you ha- like have to continue engaging and informing these uh, educational facilities, restaurants, organizations how mm-hmm. you're, you're you're in of a- in an environment vulnerable with children with food allergies and you really need to put something in place in order to have that safety net in the event of something happened that you can act in that
0: response. Yeah, step one, prevent it. And step two, be able to deal with it if it happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's a big misconception, especially with some people believing when it comes to especially like you have the mix of parents with food allergies and you have parents with children with non-food allergies and they're like, we want this, but you have the parents with food allergies that, like, I need to keep my kids safe. Like, you know, you're right. going to be upset
0: because your child cannot have a
1: peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but my child well, first can first world
0: problems there. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and I think it's going to take a lot of work for the community at large to keep putting that information out there for everyone to kind of, like, get an idea to know how severe food allergies are. Especially if yeah. you're, you have a problem with food allergies and asthma, that's, like, a ticking time bomb, those two.
0: You know, I I love the work that you're doing on education in education. Where do you stand on the whole nut-free table thing? I personally am pretty against it. I think that it gives a false sense of security and it minimizes the rest of food allergies and doesn't provide anything safe for the other kids. But I'm curious where you stand.
1: Well, the nut free table thing—it's—it—I think we've had this conversation. My wife and I have had this conversation. It's—it kind of like just—it's like, what about everyone else? Right. You know. So you—you you have that nut free table, which is you know, you know, just specifically for that. But you have other children with other different food allergies, like milk. If you have you like dairy products, you also have fruits that you know. So a lot, what a lot of schools will say, "Hey, we're a nut free school because we're that's because it's." Yes, it's 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 the popular of of the allergens. Right. So okay. you say peanut and nut free, it makes they want to ease the minds of a lot of people who have food allergies. Yeah, that's great. But then you still have to worry about the other factors of that child. Okay, nut free. If he, but what if he had five other different allergens as well? And those exactly other kids the just have that nut allergy. If he just has that peanut allergy, this kid is still susceptible of getting some type of reaction to whatever else that child is eating. If that child is only nuts, but he has like a a, a dairy product, that child who has an an allergy to dairy can't sit at that table. So that was the thing I had because Sebastian with school, they wanted to sit him at a nut free table. And I was like, no, you know, although it's not inclusive, like you will have to remove him from that nut free table because he's allergic to all those other products that these kids are eating. So they was like, oh, so we had to get a health power for Sebastian because of his five hundred four and his IEP. We were able to get a health power to be with Sebastian from the beginning of school start until he finished, and she will sit with Sebastian, and they will eat together and have some fun and everything. And he didn't feel excluded out. You know, he still felt like he was inclusive because she was his friend. You know and wherever Sebastian went she was with them she wow. carried an epinephrine she carried his epinephrine pack with her like she had two epinephrine auto injectors and the nurse had two epinephrine auto injectors that was a pricey year it <laughs> down it it was and it was and it, it it gets wild because she Worth carried two the nurse carried two and we carried two we actually spent i think almost close to $1200 just to get those six auto injectors And, you know, because in the event of emergency, if they're calling us, we make sure we grab our emergency kit to go to the school, even though they do have it. But we don't know how well they use it. So we want to make sure we have that. We're always trying to think ahead in the event of emergency. And I think, you know, it it helped because he had a reaction at the school. The teacher actually ate something in the classroom that contains peanuts. didn't wipe down anything. And um he went to the teacher he's like my skin is itchy she was like why then she starts seeing hives and then he started like having hives on his face she immediately gave him his epi pen and this, this is literally months after everything that happened with my son <clears throat> and we met them in the in the or and he was fine he immediately got help and but from that point on um we we had to pull him out because it was too much for us on top of everything. So we've been homeschooling him since. Um, this was this was in kindergarten. We've been homeschooling him since half of kindergarten and first grade. So now he's in third grade now. So he's doing well. <laughs> you know, it's just that peace of mind we needed because getting a phone call from your child's school when you know your kid has food allergies. We didn't think anything else, but that phone call that came in was like, we didn't need that.
0: We didn't need that. Yeah, no, I can't, I cannot imagine after what happened with Elijah getting that phone call. There is, I mean, I have chills even thinking about it. It's it awful.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, and it's, you know, sometimes like if he stays with his grandmother and she calls us, even though it could be nothing about that, it's just like, what happened? You know, it's like we we have that that, uh, fear and that anxiety of the inevitable. Oh my God, what's, you know, we don't want that. I don't want to have that feeling, but it's a feeling that I know a lot of food allergy parents have. Yeah. No, you know, even though you think they're safe, you're still going to have those feelings.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, it's only natural, right? And I'm sure that Mm -hmm. you hear a lot from other food allergy parents. And what are the things that you kind of wish that other food allergy parents knew? Like what are the, the lessons, if you will, um, if you could give those to other people who have food allergic children.
1: I, I think, you know, I know a lot of parents, they know, but it's, when it comes down to getting resources, factual information, you want to go to the more viable sources, you know, that will provide you with the factual data. Um, internet has a bevy of information from cures to food allergies to name it, you know, from essential oils to herbs and everything. But... You know, scientifically none of those are proven to do that. So go to where the data is at, like resources like FAIR or if you have um, um, kids with food allergies, AAFA, um, these are organizations that, that I stand by 100% knowing that their information is factual. If I want data, and I've worked with all of them as well. Um, get the data at, the, at these sources, also going through social media or a friend who may give you some home memory or... You know, these are the things you really want to look for, because it can be very harmful if you try to do something outside of the scope of what the scientific, scientific, scientific data and research has put so much into. Social and-
0: media is such a good point there. How many times in a social media group, like, you know, fill in the blank, whichever one, right? Like mommy's on the ceiling with food allergy kids or whatever. I'm making that up, obviously. Mm-hmm. When they come into those groups and say, oh, look at this picture of my son. Should I EpiPen him? If you're asking, yeah. you should EpiPen him. Don't ask yeah, people it,
1: on social media. Yeah, I think, and I've seen, I've seen those posts, and you know, and, and, it, and it's, it worries me sometimes. And sometimes via social media, I will see some adults who will post pictures. Like I don't follow them, but I have, like you know, you have the hashtag. You follow the certain hashtag. Yeah. Like I will follow something like a hashtag anaphylaxis. There was one on the social media. She was probably 25 years old. She was like. You know, I had me. I had some shellfish, and my face blew up, and I was having trouble breathing. So I took some Benadryl, and I went to sleep. And I was like, but "So I sent." Listeners her, can't sent her see that, but you and I both
0: put our hands on our faces, like in shock and disbelief. Yeah. Don't do that. So I sent
1: her. I sent her a message. I was like, "Wow, that you know that must have been very scary." Um, for you to go through that and have that reaction. Um, I was like, but you really need to consider not using Benadryl as the the first line of defense. She doesn't carry an epinephrine. So I was like, she's like, oh, I don't, I don't have an EpiPen. I was like, well, you need to go to your doctor, your primary care physician, and see an allergist and get tested for more, uh, for some further allergens. And you really need to carry that because not every reaction is going to be the same. And when you have a reaction the way you did, you need to treat that immediately with epinephrine. And she was like, she's like, you know what? I did not know that. Now she follows my page. So, um, you know, sometimes I, I get a little reluctant to responding to people like that because I don't want to feel like I'm a nag. right? But this is something, like the same thing with a woman in the pharmacy with the with talking to the pharmacist and everything. And she was saying all this thing. I, was like, I had to <laughs> intervene their conversation and be like, hey, uh. This is how it is, you know. Don't just take Benadryl, then think about taking epinephrine. No, this is what you do first. So, I hear it a lot, I hear it so much, and it just scares me.
0: Yeah, listeners, we're not doctors, but Benadryl mm -hmm. can mask the symptoms of anaphylaxis, and you can miss a life or death situation because you've taken a medication that isn't going to, you know, fix anaphylaxis. EpiPen first, and then go to the ER.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I. And that was one thing, like, I remember Elijah having his first reaction, you know, I didn't give him Benadryl, I gave him epinephrine immediately. And, you know, because this is, I knew the information. And this was before we even, I didn't even know there was a community out there with my boys with food allergies. I didn't know about FAIR, I didn't know about analogies together, or kids with food allergies. I didn't know about communities throughout Facebook, I didn't know that, because that's it's not it wasn't just my doctor didn't tell me about it my doctor didn't tell me about it it's not advertised the school didn't mention anything about oh we should look at fair because they do this with food allergies no one is giving that information Mm -hmm. so we before everything happened we were actually putting something together to try to do some advocacy and awareness work in schools and then you know the you know what happened with elijah that just like You know, it was just crazy. Like, okay, we need to do something. We need to do something now. And, you know, it's in with us and our grief, just, you know, transforming that into what we're doing today. It just makes all the difference. We don't do it just for us or in the legacy in honor of my son Elijah. We do it for our son Sebastian and every other children that are in the community that are going from infancy who are being early diagnosed with food allergies and. And and respiratory diseases at such a very young age who are gonna be in that world with these parents who are left open, like, what do I do? There are a lot of parents out there that don't know what to do. Absolutely. They just follow the instructions of what is given to them. It's almost like the mama bird technique. Here's an epi pen, give it to him if he has a reaction. But well, and there's
0: it. a lot of variance in what allergists out there say, right? The the Yeah. the. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the difference in the information that comes from a real food allergist expert, as opposed to somebody who focuses more on environmental allergies, you do get a lot of advice where people are saying, Oh yeah, you can take an, you can take a Benadryl. Wait, what? No, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's, it's, it's really fascinating. The other group that I feel like is super vulnerable are adult onset allergies because then, you know, you don't have that, (laughs) that other advocate as a parent, Right kind of fighting for you and going out to do the Google things and find all those groups yeah. for support. Um, I feel yeah. like the adult out onset people, you know, take care of themselves, not as well as they should.
1: I, I always say as an adult, we are not invincible to food allergies. So true. We're not invincible to do anything. Um, I was know, just I hospitalized
0: was- this summer. I mean, how many years into this food allergy expert thing? And I land myself in the ER in the middle of a pandemic. Good job. It, it, it
1: but it happens.
0: Mm-hmm. It happens.
1: I have, I know someone who literally eats seafood knowing they have this condition and they're a close relative of mine, knowing they have this condition and put them in that. And they were like, well, I end up in a hospital, I'll get treated. And I'm like, the next time will be your last. So, and, and it's that mindset as adult, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I'll be fine. You know, I've been avoiding it for this year. I'm an adult, but you have no idea what you're coming in contact with. Restaurants, although you, they can be 100% on board with food allergens, but you also got to be mindful who is handling your food in the back. Mm-hmm. Although you have these strict regulations, but how is that food being handled? Unless I'm physically there watching you do it and making sure you don't accidentally take that spoon that's dipped in that water that you just rinsed off thinking that you cleaned it when there's other allergens just swimming in that. Then you use that to kind of like scoop up whatever it is that you want to mix. Or you put that same food on a burner that you just had cheese on, but you think it's clean because you scraped it, but then you don't understand the enzymes and everything that are left on that. Even though hot, you're still (laughs) taking that with the food. There's so much to go into that when it comes to cross contamination. Like, they go to school. They get, you know, they go to get their food handlers license, and you have to be up with the Department of Health codes and everything. But what about keeping a person safe with food allergies? You know, there
0: another are, thing that when we do restaurant education, there are two words that strike fear in the heart of everyone who works in a restaurant: raw chicken. Yeah. So when we yeah. teach restaurants about food allergies, what I say is, a person's food allergies are their raw chicken. Would yeah, you? Absolutely put raw chicken on a salad and then somebody complains about it, would you just remove the raw chicken and then give them the salad? No, of course not, right? No. But that's the same thing. When you take the bread off the salad or you take the nuts off or whatever, that raw chicken's already been there. You, you can't you can't undo that, right? You can't take the spoon in the raw chicken and yeah. then stick it in the ice cream. Not going to happen.
1: Absolutely. What I love, I remember I was, um, I was in New Orleans uh, for a conference, and I went to a restaurant in a hotel that was there. It was an Asian restaurant and I had to be very, so I always stick what I normally will get. The general manager at the time that was there, they was like, listen, we would love for you to eat here, but because we don't have strict food handling practices in the back, although we abide by guidelines, um, the, that oil is fried with this. They use this burner for that and everything. He was like, I'm sorry. He was like, I, I'm, you know, he's like, listen, I, I, I really want to keep you safe. And when I heard that, it just gave me a sense of calmness, like, wow, because I've never heard that from anyone in the restaurant, because I was asking questions, like, how is this, where is this prepared, this and that, I guess he wants to, like, make sure, like, listen, I don't want to hurt or harm you in here, so it's, it's you know, and my wife was okay, to, she she ate her food and everything, but I didn't eat, I decided to go to the, soup, the local grocery, get my own food and prepare that yeah. way, and That's I'm it. okay with that, they're decent, nice enough to come to me and tell me that.
0: I agree with you. It happens to me all the time actually. Um, and I always tell them, Look, I appreciate that. I'd rather be safe than not safe. But as an FYI, it's a violation of the ADA. So the next person, that's the Americans with Disabilities Act, in case anybody's not with me on that. You you yeah. have to you have to feed people, right? It's it's a quote unquote public place. And um so I always tell them, Look, I'm never gonna make that phone call. You and I are on the same side here and I appreciate you keeping me safe, but the next person may feel differently. Person.
1: Yeah. And, and then I hand them my business up.
0: card. <laughs>
1: smart, very smart. There <laughs> yeah, are people who have done that, though. You're like, "Hey, yeah. they want to serve me," you know, and then they take it further from that. But I understand where they come from. You know, totally. like, we're Never not do sure that. They have the right for that. But there's a lot of education that needs to be given out there, and you know, I'm just hoping for that big moment that. We can all be like, yes, finally, you know, it, it shouldn't take a tragedy to create change. Like what happened to my son? What happened to Oakley's son? What happened to um, Georgina's son? I can go on, you know, it shouldn't take a tragedy to create the change. But unfortunately in this world and in this, in this nation, a lot of changes happen due to traumatic events and tragedies, you know, and that's, you know, that if you look at historically all the way going back, you can see this happened. So we had to create change. This happened. We had to create change. It shouldn't be that. It should be like, here, this is the elephant in the room. We can all see it. Let's change it.
0: So speaking of ways to create change, you have an ambassador program. Tell our listeners how they can get involved in that.
1: Oh, that is my baby for the foundation. So the Elijah Alavi Foundation, we started the ambassador program a couple months ago. Uh, We've been working on, we wanted to do something. We wanted to do this for a long time, but we didn't know actually how to Put it together and conveying what we're actually going to bring forward so the pandemic is always grateful for, for a lot so just, i could start working on some new ideas and everything so we wanted to so i worked with uh one of our marketing teams we put together the whole superhero thing and we want the main focus is to empower young children to be their own voice and their own advocate so they can actually do work in their home their community in their schools when they visit their friends and family, there will be their own voice, their sound voice. That's why we call it Elijah's Echo, being that voice that resonates. You know, So whatever message you put back out there, you know, it's going to travel and it can come back to you by all the work that you're doing. So with that, we created this, it's almost like a subscription box. We have so many amazing uh, partnerships with companies and organizations, just providing everything that we need in terms of our foundation is providing a bevy of educational materials on how to's and also ways to advocate, ways to be a sounding voice. We also provide them with a certificate of being a part of our ambassadors. So I, I love that part. So and we, we fill that box up and we give it to them. And although there's a lot of snacks and fun things in there, but we also are working on a program coming next year that we're gonna be engaging with every ambassador every month With this program, so we want to make sure that we we are there with them, that they can see that we're with them, you know, Um, from having virtual events, from sending them products in the mail or these, you know, whatever we have, we want we want it's it's all about working together and being together. So we have a lot of organizations like Enjoy Life being a part of it, Allergy Insider, who is um one of our sponsors, um, one of our sponsors, Enjoy Life a sponsor, Belay pragmatic, everyone who's on board is uh, very near and dear to my heart. And and I'm so grateful. AlbiQ, one of the big ones that are actually providing us with so much um, um, products that we can provide our ambassadors. And it's just to give them this, that empowerment, that confidence to instill within themselves. Because as you get older, once you get into middle school, you know, it's that, they assume that you know how to take care of yourself once you're in that and that in that realm basically um, so we work with children from with parents who have children early diagnosed with allergies and asthma we will go from infant to 12 to 12 years of age so that's a good that's a good uh, line for them to kind of like build their advocacy and their and their confidence from that so once they get into middle school they know they have the answers and the tools what they need to continue going forward in life
0: I think so that's yeah amazing. it
1: it's, um, we sent out like, I think we sent out about almost 95 boxes um, already for the ambassador program, which was when I started getting, I didn't think it was going to, you know, I was excited about it. And then people started signing up and everything. And I was like, wait, 95. I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. So luckily, you know, we start building the boxes and then we start sending them out. And now we're like, you know, we had an issue with the shipping and I'm like, my, my people haven't got their products. What's going on? With the whole election thing, it kind of like caused a lot of delay and a lot of products. I remember-, I remember That's a whole other conversation.
0: Stuff. Yeah, it's a whole, I
1: remember receiving something a month later from ordering, it. I'm like, wait, what?
0: I moved but, three months ago, and I just got my forwarded mail last week. Oh
1: my goodness. That's, that's wild. Oh
0: man. Um, I hear you on shipping issues. So how, right. how do people so, connect with the ambassador program online and with so, the foundation in general? <coughs>
1: With the ambassador program to connect you can go to our website elijahlbfoundation.org you can click where it says um, ambassadors and there there's an actually online application you can fill out all the information about your child whether they're an infant or they're 12 years of age fill out that information what food allergies and non-food allergies you have as well um like whatever information is there from church size your birthday and everything we want to be you know we want to know everything about them so when we do Provide them with stuff and ongoing support. You know, we that we know what to, yeah. to send them and be with them. Yeah, so that is one of our it's it's a baby, and we have some work enough that I can't talk about now. It's a lot of things happening in 2021. Um, I can tell you one thing: we are launching We have a children's book that's coming out next year.
0: Nice, that's amazing. So
1: it's it's one of five. So we have one of five. We're in the process of finishing it up right now and. It, we had a deadline for January, but we pushed it to Food Allergy Awareness Month, so we're putting it there. So, um,
0: all right. Well, we'll have to have you back on next year when you can tell us more about the other things coming in 2021.
1: Yeah. On on top of the legislation, we have we have a lot of legislation that we're working on for uh, um, the Elijah's Law for each state. And you know, once everything is done, it's it's like boots to the ground going. Um, with everything that we're doing and a lot of new things coming in
0: 2021. I love it. And I think that's a good place for us to kind of wrap up with a teaser for the next one, whenever that may be sometime in 2021. Uh, Truly, I appreciate all the work that you're doing and to be able to handle your situation with the grace and strength that you have is amazing. So thank you for that too. And on behalf of the food allergy community, as our listeners know, we like to wrap these up with something a little bit fun Two truths and a lie. So, tell us two things that are true and one thing that isn't. Mix them up. And we're not going to tell the listeners what it is that is the lie right now. They're going to have to connect with us online and ask. So, Thomas, two truths and a lie.
1: Two truths and a lie. Um, I love baking cookies. Um, I enjoy dressing my wife up, you know, when she's going out. And... I'm afraid
0: of the dark. All right. Well, if you want to know which one of those is (laughs) not true, let us know. Connect with us on any of the social media platforms or on your favorite podcast platform. Thomas, thank you. This was an absolute honor and a pleasure, and I look forward to having you back. Hopefully you're willing to join us again. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Shandyland. Thank you for listening.